friends. Welcome to Stand to Reason. I'm your host for today, Robbie Lashua. I'm filling in for Greg, and I have a very special guest back with me, my friend Eric Johnson from Mormonism Research Ministry. Uh, He's recently written a new book that you all need to purchase. It's called Introducing Christianity to Mormons. Uh, We've already done an episode on the book and talked about uh, how it's uh, laid out and what he hopes this book will be able to accomplish. And so if you want to check that out, you should go listen to our previous episode. But today we are going to be talking about uh, Mormon theology and Christian theology and misconceptions and a whole bunch of different things. So Eric, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me, Robbie. Yeah, why don't you tell uh, our listeners a little bit about you and the ministry that you're a part of and uh, where they can plug in with what you're doing. Well, we have a website, mrm.org, a ministry called Mormonism Research Ministry, founded by Bill McKeever in 1979. I have been with Bill since 1989, volunteering, and then in 2010, I moved to Utah, Sandy, Utah, to be in the middle of things, and so Bill and I are full-time in this. We have some other people on our staff. We... um, None of us have ever been LDS. We all come from a Gentile perspective, if you will, because Latter-day Saints believe that they hmm. are the true Jews. But uh, we we, uh, we just have a love for the Mormon people. So we want to present in churches and tell people about what Mormonism is all about and how to best be able to explain the Christian gospel to our Latter-day Saint friends and family members. Also, we do a lot of evangelism. So those are the two main purposes is to to get the information out. But our website is a great place to go. We also have a podcast. It's a radio show. We've been doing it for 10 years now. It's called Viewpoint on Mormonism. Actually, it's 11 years in July. So 11 years we've been doing wow. this. And uh, we have over 3,000 podcasts that are you can you can look at our archives and Go on any topic, pretty much. We have covered it. We've talked about it. We try to stay on the cutting edge there. That's mainly what we do and uh, just faith supported. So we're a 501c3 that just wants to help the church out to be there and be somebody who can actually put the time in to do the research necessary to understand where this church is going and where it's been. Well, and I think that that's important as as we're going to discuss today, kind of even the structure of the Mormon church. And there's there's so much to keep up on. Right. It's it's not like, a, oh, I can understand their doctrine and now I've got it because it is a religion that um, updates. I think that's a good way to put it. They, they update things. The new prophet can update uh, doctrines or update scripture. And so you do need to constantly be listening into their general conferences and to what the, the uh, first presidency is talking about in order to understand where they are currently, because things change in their church. And I really do appreciate that you guys keep up on all of those <laughs> different things, because we nobody has the time to do that unless it's your full-time thing thing. Right. Um, I, I also tell people about you and, and Eric, I, I sincerely believe this to be the truth. Everything I read on Mormonism, it seems like everyone's just referring to you guys. And so I tell people, why don't you just go read their books? Because everybody else is just going to be quoting them. So I just I, I try to guide people to you as the source um, because you've been doing it so long because of your affiliation, you know, with Sandra and what she's been doing, Sandra Tanner, what she's been doing in Utah uh, since the 60s. 
And um, I really appreciate your ministry. And uh, there's been so many, so much good training, so much great fruit uh, that's come out of what you and Bill are doing up there. So just appreciate you and uh, appreciate having you on the show today. Oh, thank you for having me. And I appreciate those kind words. You mentioned Sandra, Gerald and Sandra Tanner have been doing ministry since the 1960s. He passed away in 2007. She's retiring mm-hmm. in 2023 uh, in March. Okay. So uh, that ministry, the Utah Lighthouse Ministry, will be no more. Uh, so, uh, so there's not very many of us out here anymore. Back in the 80s, there seemed to be a heyday. Walter Martin inspired a lot of people to be mm-hmm. involved in this kind of ministry. Now a lot of us are older. And uh, we're hoping that these kinds of ministries will continue. But we live in a postmodern age where truth doesn't matter as much as it used to. Uh, And and so I don't know how many Christians find the kind of work we do to be mission oriented. But it certainly is and necessary, I think, to be able to stay up with these things. Because many more than half of the converts that come into Mormonism come from a Christian background. And they love it wow. when they talk to a person who calls himself a Christian and they say, well, we're Christian, too. And before you know it, they're getting baptized into the LDS church. Wow. Yeah. Well, appreciate what you're doing. So let's let's talk a little bit about one of the things I like to help people understand, because I grew up in northern Arizona and um, most of northern Arizona was founded by Mormons mm-hmm. uh, because Brigham Young sent them south and north. That's why Idaho, Utah and Arizona are very uh, filled with Mormons. Um, so my little town was founded by Mormons and there's a Mormon ward in, you know, a town of 3000 people. There's a Mormon ward, huge Mormon ward there for the town size. And uh, I grew up with a lot of Mormon friends who would give me, you know, I remember as a 12 year old, my friends from up the street, we play basketball and they, they gave me a book of Mormon. Robbie, you got to read this. This is the truth, not Christianity, not what you're believing in. And so I've, I've grown up inundated with this and studying it and thinking about it. But most people I me hardly know anything about Mormonism. Uh, They don't understand the distinctions and the differences. And so I thought it'd be kind of fun to talk a little bit about Christian misconceptions about Mormonism. And you are the guy who knows all of this. And so I think I could take advantage of your wisdom and knowledge in this and uh, and help inform people about common misconceptions. So the first um, – and I hear this all the time. I mean all the time. The first misconception I think we should clear up is this belief that Mormons can't drink caffeine. I hear Christians say that a lot. What 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 is the, what is the official uh, church teachings that people derive that idea from? Well, I'm going to say if that's a misconception, many Latter-day Saints had that misconception years ago. Uh, And in Mm. fact, it wasn't until about 15 years ago that the church came out and said, we never said caffeine. You can drink cola drinks. (laughs) But let me tell you, I've been coming to Utah since the 1980s. And for instance, Manti, the Mormon Miracle Pageant used to be held there until a couple of years ago when they stopped doing it. Uh, And the top stop there, there's a little shop there that they sell the sodas. And back in the 80s and 90s, even into the 2000s, you could not find a caffeinated drink. Everything was decaf. 7-Up they would have. Mountain Dew was not going to be on the menu when you wanted to, you know, to put your cup under something. Uh, And and yet the church Mm -hmm. did come out. You're right. It's See, here's the thing. The word of wisdom is talked about in in, uh, Doctrine and Covenants section 87. And when you read through the Doctrine and Covenants, there's a lot of things in there that they have taken beyond. For instance, hot drinks. Uh, you know, um, what exactly does that mean, hot drink? Uh, they have 
said, well, it's the coffee and the tea. Why? Because of the caffeine. But mm. out at Temple Square, when I'm out there doing evangelism, everybody has hot cocoa in their hands. Everyone is walking and they have a they have these uh, trucks that will sell hot cocoa and they're at the line for them. And they're all LDS. Well, you, and in fact, I, I, uh, I, I'll joke with them and I'll say, Oh, is that a warm drink? And they laugh and, you know, ha ha. But it says hot drink. So how do you translate that? Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's and, like if it's, if it's above 190 degrees, that's uh, hot. But if what, it's 189, yeah. like how do they decide that? Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, and why is it wrong? I, we wrote a book, Bill and I, Bill McKeever and I wrote a book in, in, uh, 1994 called Questions to Ask Your Mormon Friend by Bethany House. It's no longer in print. It's available off of, you know, the used books, but, uh, uh, we, we had a chapter on that and they, uh, the Mormons wrote, this is a apologetics group. They wrote rebuttals to our chapters. And in the chapter on the word of wisdom that we had written about, they said, well, it's, uh, you can get, you can get colon cancer or no, excuse me, esophagus, esophagus cancer if you drink too many hot drinks. Where did that come from? I mean, uh, you know, it's bad for your health. That's what, you know, well, then again, I go back to well, what about a hot cocoa? I, I, a lot of Mormons think that's okay, but they still won't drink coffee or tea. And so there's that caffeine issue. So I think if you were to ask Robbie, if you were to ask a Latter-day Saint, he also might say it's because of the caffeine. And you're right. It's not, that's not what the word of wisdom says. And that's not what the church has taught, but that's how they they view it. That's how they've interpreted it. It's kind of like maybe like a folklore type thing that's yep. stemmed up or bishops say that. So um, with that, uh, the word of wisdom is fascinating to me. Uh, and, and I think it's important for our listeners to understand this. So uh, Mormons have, uh, they call it the standard works. They have four inspired scriptures, mm-hmm. the KJV Bible, which is the lowest of them all, uh, the Book of Mormon, which a lot of people are familiar with, the Pearl of Great Price, and then the Doctrines and Covenants. And the doctrines and covenants are um, teachings, doctrines and covenants that Joseph Smith gave uh, when he was still alive about how the church should operate and live, except for two different uh, articles that have been added since Joseph Smith's death. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, one was uh, uh, DNC 134 and 135. I think 135 was put together by Joseph F. Smith, who had a dream. But for mm-hmm. the most part, I think the first 133 are his. Are and all, I made a mistake yeah. when I said DNC 87. It's actually DNC 89, the word of wisdom. But you read yeah. there. And, and, and in fact, in the, I just looked it up, uh, uh, verses 1 through 9, the use of wine, strong drinks, tobacco, and hot drinks is prescribed. doesn't even say, in, even in the preview section, doesn't say coffee or tea. But, uh, yeah. No, it says hot drinks. Well, so let's talk about this. So in, in that word of wisdom, Joseph Smith is he's saying, listen, as as Mormons, we don't use alcohol. We don't use tobacco anymore. We don't drink hot drinks. Right. Where did this come from? Like, why did he what what, what was the, the historical um, incident going on here for why he wrote this? Uh, that's a great question. And um, if you go to the John Johnson farm. Uh, um, there was, there was, uh, um, they, they were having meetings actually. And, uh, I think it was a John Johnson farm, but anyway, back in the 1830s, uh, Emma Smith, the wife of Joseph Smith had complained to her husband that the men were spitting tobacco on the floor and it had to keep picking it up all the time. And it's really gross, uh, tobacco that yeah. spit and they were missing the pan or wherever they were spitting into and it was causing a problem. So the true story is she, she said, uh, you know, somehow you got to get rid of that. So then Joseph said, okay, 
then I'll just have a revelation about it. That's what became DNC 89. What year was that? Uh, 1833, actually. So he was at Kirtland. It was Kirtland. I think it was the John Johnson farm uh, that this was happening. They were meeting upstairs and, and they had what was called the School of the Prophets. And uh, but he decided he wanted to get back at his wife because they like to drink tea. So he went ahead and just used that against her. Now, did that stop wow. them from drinking these things? No, they still were drinking hot drinks after. Joseph Smith also ran a tavern out of Nauvoo years later. Really? In 1804. Absolutely. Uh, and you, you go there today. It's run by the Community of Christ, the largest splinter group uh, um, after the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So they're based in Independence, the Community of Christ, and they'll tell you to your face. They, they'll admit, yeah, he used to sell alcohol out of here. Well, wow. I mean, yeah. After after he said we don't drink alcohol. Anymore. Absolutely. In fact, you know, this wasn't made a command. DNC 89 in the Word of Wisdom was not made a command to be able to get into the temple because you have to get a temple recommend to enter a temple. Mm-hmm. You have to agree to a bunch of different questions. Uh, you know, they'll ask you and you have to answer correctly. But that wasn't added in until the 1920s. Uh, wow. So it wasn't even considered to be an essential thing until much, much later. We're talking uh uh, well, almost 100 years later, uh, the, temp- the temple requirement now, they're going to ask you questions about, um, you know, do you go to church? Do you tithe 10%? In fact, they just changed that, Robbie, just the last couple of days. Uh, they say now it's voluntary. It's not a mandatory thing. Uh, for giving? The, well, for, for tithing settlement. I'm sorry, for tithing settlement. Oh, okay. So to pay back, if you hadn't paid and you want to go see your daughter get married, they had that where it's still essential. You still have to tithe 10% and the church will know that you're tithing or not, because if you're a lawyer giving $2,000, that's not going to cut it. So they would have what's called tithing settlement and you'd have to pay up. Uh, now they're changing the name of that. Uh, you also have to wear special undergarments uh, that, that, mm-hmm. are, uh, that are important as a spiritual and possibly a physical protection. These are all things that you do in order to uh, be able to get that little card that allows you to go through that temple. So, uh, and then that allows you going through the temple allows you to do work to gain the highest level of heaven. And that's why it's important to go to the temple. Yeah. You, you get married for time and eternity uh, to your spouse. You go through the entire ceremony, uh, learning new names. You get a new name, everybody in the temple, the men get a certain name from the Bible or the book of Mormon and the women get a name as well. Mm -hmm. The man will learn the woman's name so that he can raise her on resurrection day. Those are quiet. You're not supposed to talk about that. Secret, if you will, or sacred. Mormons like to say sacred, but it's also secret. Uh, They also have to learn special tokens to be able to, from the terrestrial room going into this grand celestial room with this big uh, chandelier and beautiful couches. But you have these different first and second um, uh, tokens of the Aaronic and Melchizedek priesthood. You have to learn these certain handshakes, which you'll need to be able to get into the very best a kingdom of glory that's out there. It's called the celestial kingdom where your family will be wow. forever. But you have to qualify by keeping all of the commandments all of the time. That's the biggest thing. And so if you, but you're going to have to know those things as well. So part of keeping all the commandments is being temple worthy and then going through for yourself. Then after you've done it for yourself the first time, you're done for yourself. 
the rest of the time you're doing work on behalf of the dead. So you have uh, baptisms for the dead. They take a verse out of context in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 29. Why else are they then baptized for the dead? And, and they've turned that into a, a doctrine where you can do the work on behalf of someone else who's dead and who doesn't have a body. So you can do the baptism vicariously for them and it will count. Mm. So they have a chance to, to progress. Also, um, uh, they, they do the ordinances for the dead. That's why genealogical work is so very important for them because they need to learn who their family is so they can do that work. And I have yeah. relatives on my wife's side who will do the work for us because they take this very seriously and they're nice people. I, my, my wife's cousins sure, are great course. people, but, but uh, they, they told us maybe 20, 25 years ago, don't worry when you die, we'll take care of the work for you. And he knew what I did. You know, wow. he knew that I was involved yeah. in the kind of ministry that I'm doing now. And yet he just said, we will do that work so that somebody who who's um, in in, in um, paradise is called in the intermediate state. After we die, we go to one of two places. Either, either we're going to go to um, spirit prisons where I'm going to go and paradise is where good Mormons are going to go. And then when the work mm -hmm. is done here on behalf of the dead, then the missionaries are released to come and present the gospel. So. I will have that within a year or a year after I will have somebody come and appear to me, say, you were wrong, Eric. And I'm going to cry uncle and say, man, I really blew it. I wish I wouldn't have listened to Robbie on any of this stuff. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah sure. And, and, you know, and so I will, I'm smart enough to say, I don't want to go to outer darkness. And so I'll accept the gospel and, and then I'll get one yeah, of three kingdoms after, of glory. After your death. Well, so, so to sum it up, um, there are rules that have to be kept in order to get a temple recommend. Mm -hmm. And then you get that temple key card and you can go to the temple and do work on behalf of yourself that betters your afterlife. Mm -hmm. And then you can go through and do temple work to better the afterlives of other people who've died who didn't do that work. You're and, a proxy for them. Exactly. And then also mm -hmm. when your children get married, you're allowed to go to the temple ceremony. Uh, if you don't have that temple recommend, you're a dad. You're going to sit down on the first floor. You will not get a chance to go up and watch your child get married. And that's, that's, so a, if you, yeah. that's a big deal. Yeah. yeah. So if you if, if you're not following. So the word of wisdom, D, Doctrines and Covenants 89 is a part of getting that temple recommend. So if you if you drink alcohol, if you use tobacco or you drink hot drinks, you won't be allowed to go to your daughter's wedding or to be allowed to go to the temple to do work. For your afterlife. Not necessarily, though, because it depends okay. on the bishop or the stake president who's interviewing you. They interview you, and it depends on who—they're called the judges of Israel. The, the bishop is called the judge of Israel. He has the ability to either stamp you with approval to give you that temple recommend card or to deny you. So if you say— Okay, he says, have you have you abide by the? I don't know how they ask it exactly. Um, there's you can go to the internet and find those questions. They're on our website as well. But you know, have you kept the word of wisdom? And you say, well, you know, I really keep most of it. I really struggle though, Bishop, because you know, occasionally I will drink a cup of coffee. Oftentimes, what I have heard some bishops will do is say, okay, you really need to improve on that. So I'm going to let that one slip this time. But you need to you need to fix that problem. You're not, you really shouldn't be doing that. And you know, it's, it's okay. a struggle. There's a lot of, uh, here in Utah, we have so many coffee shops 
And uh, who's, who's, <laughs> if sixty percent of the population is LDS, not supposed to be drinking it, how do we have so many of these? We we're getting these Dutch yeah. brothers coming in now, and they have lines all the way around the block, and it's like, <laughs> who's drinking all this? Well, I think there are yeah. a lot of closet Mormons who hope that somebody from the church is not working there, but th- that they're going to buy their coffee too. And so it's a, it, you know these things are a struggle for many Latter Day Saints just to keep all these rules. But most yeah. of them, I'm going to say, probably are not honest with their bishop. Sure, I'm keeping mm. the word of wisdom. And wink, wink, you know, and, and it's like, oh, it's just a sure. little white lie. What's the big deal? Well, uh, well yeah. it depends. It's a big deal. I mean, sure. One one of the things that I've always had an issue with is if you, you're reading Doctrines and Covenants 89, right? Because I, I go to these sources. I want to see what did Joseph Smith say. And so uh, as I'm reading it, yeah, it talks about alcohol. It talks about tobacco. It talks about um Hot drinks, but then in, in verses 12 and 13, I, I want to read this. This is what it says. He says, Yea, flesh also of beasts and of fowls of the air, I, the Lord, have ordained for the use of man with thanksgiving. Nevertheless, they are to be used sparingly. And it is pleasing unto me that they should not be used only in times of winter or of cold or of famine. When's the last so time you saying, had a? When's the last time you had a Latter Day Saint cite that to you? <laughs> I know a lot of Mormons that they eat meat all the time, not just in the winter, yeah, and not just sparingly. And so it's just, I, I, I often bring that up, and I say, okay, you follow these three things, but the very next verse says, use birds and animal meat sparingly, and they don't. And so I don't know. I just think there, there's again misconception about caffeine even amongst the LDS church, right? It says hot drinks. Um, but as Christians, I think for us, we can learn a lot if we go to the source, not just we hear people say things. We want to go to the authorities. And then when we talk with somebody, we say, well, you follow Joseph Smith. Let's look at what he said. Yeah. Here is what DNC 89 says. Um, how are you doing with that? Are you obeying that? Why did he say these things? And uh, that helps us, I think, to, to have good conversations with them and to also clear up misconceptions. I've heard so many people say uh, Mormons are hypocrites because – and I, I don't know how true this is, but I've heard this myth out there a lot is that they're not supposed to drink caffeine, but they own Pepsi. And I don't even know if they own Pepsi. I don't know if that's true. <laughs> but I always say, well, have you ever read DNC 89? It says – Hot drinks, like that's it's it's a different, different thing, somewhat. Yeah, I, I agree. And you know the the idea that they own Coke or Pepsi, or, they do have grand holdings. Uh, they have they have more they own more land in Florida than anybody uh, for a private more than Disney. Even. For, yeah, they have uh, they wow. are incredible. They well they have swamps. They have every farmland in the Midwest. I mean, a lot of the food that we get is. It comes from uh, Mormon uh, ownings. Uh, they do keep wow. storehouses too of food. Uh, the Bishop Storehouse is called that. They'll you know you can actually volunteer and then you get things from that the foodstuffs that they will produce. But uh, I know in San Diego they used to um, they, they did mackerel. They 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 caught fish and they would can it. And it was all part oh. of what they did. So they're very big into they, they they have ownership of so many different things. Pepsi, Coke. Mm. I, I've heard that before. I don't think they do. They might have stock in it. I mean, a lot of people have stock. In yeah, it. who knows? Mutual, sure. Check your mutual fund. You probably have uh, <laughs> stock in uh, in whiskey producers or something. And so, you know, it's not necessarily sure. that you're saying that's the right thing to do. But, but uh, yeah, I think what you're saying is true, uh, that you can go to the actual source and say, and, and uh, ask it as questions. Uh, say, 
So how do I, how should I understand those verses I just read? Because in Utah, mm-hmm. we celebrate the July of 4th like nobody's business. Barbecue smoke is all over the place. Oh, yeah. You know? and, oh, yeah. And, and you go to a restaurant, uh, nobody's just ordering salad. Uh, they're ordering the meat dishes. <laughs> People, you know, the Mormons typically like their meat just like anybody else. But if that's yep. true, then, you know, I think oftentimes it, it's... Um, uh, we have to do things in moderation. Uh, obviously, eating too much meat is not going to be good. Uh, sure. Drinking too much soda is not going to be good or drinking too much caffeine is not going to be good. But in moderation, I yeah. think there are a lot of things that are possible, like coffee. You know, if you drink 10 cups of coffee, I think you're drinking too much. And I know you're not doing that's it, That's not Robbie. good. Yeah, well, you- that's college, Robbie. I, I used to do that, and that was not good. <laughs> and you're always that, so. jittery, right? Always. <laughs> always, yeah. <laughs> well, hey, let's switch over and talk a little bit about Mormon authority. I think this is a, a misunderstood concept for a lot of Christians. So when it comes to scriptural authority, like I said before, there's the standard works. Yep. There's the KJV Bible, which is the lowest we talked about in the previous episode you were on. They say as long as it's translated correctly and many plain and precious portions have, have been lost. Um, so the KJV Bible, but then they also have the Book of Mormon. They have the Pearl of Great Price and they have the Doctrines and Covenants. Those are their scripture authority. However, there is a fifth authority and it is the modern prophet. Right. Can you talk a little bit about the structure of leadership in the Mormon church and, and the importance of the prophet? We have to understand the great apostasy says that all truth, as far as authority goes, was taken away soon after the death of the apostles. They actually were disobedient because they did not replace the dead re- apostles like they did with Matthias, which we never hear of Matthias. And a lot of commentators say, was that ever supposed to be done in the first place? But anyway, after John dies, we don't know when. There was this great apostasy. Uh, there's there's no truth, really, until Joseph Smith restores the truth of, uh, of God in 1830 when he founds the Mormon Church, um, April 6th of 1830. So that is crucial for this religion to be able to have the authority. And then he supposedly in 1829 had John the Baptist come and John the Baptist had Oliver Cowdery and, and Joseph Smith baptize each other in the Susquehanna River. I was just there a couple of weeks ago. I We actually went to a lot of the sites uh, to see what was being said at these sites. And so I was there and they baptized each other uh, in, in Pennsylvania. And then, um, uh, then uh, Peter, James, and John came out of heaven and laid their hands on uh, Oliver and Joseph. We don't know the date of that, which is really strange. If, if Peter, James, hmm. and John come to you and you don't know the date of that, you didn't put that in your journal, I don't know what's wrong. But that happened sometime supposedly in 1829 after the, that. So we have the Aaronic priesthood through John the Baptist. We have the Melchizedek priesthood through um, through Peter, James, and John. Those two priesthoods are given to males in the church at the age of 12 for the Aaronic priesthood and at the age of 18 where they become elders. So when you see the, the little name badge, elder, that's referring to their a Melchizedek priesthood holder. Those are vital. Well, so then this church is very much one of authority, and there's different levels going all the way up to what are called general authorities. The top leader is, is Russell M. Nelson today. He's the 17th president. He took over in 2018 when the previous president died, Thomas Monson. And the way that he took over is he had the longest amount of years as a general authority. Then he has two counselors. 
And uh, and so those two counselors serve under him. And those three men are known as the first presidency. And then we have 12 men who are the apostles. Those 15 men hold the highest positions. There's also a group of men called the 70s. Uh, first quorum of the 70 is the next highest. And and so we have all of these men and women don't hold the priesthood, so they're not allowed to hold these leadership positions. But when the leaders speak at general conference, this is a very important time. It happens the first weekend of April and October here in Salt Lake City. Everything pretty much shuts down because everybody's supposed to be watching the general conference at home or going to the conference itself. It seats 20,000 people. They just came back from COVID this last uh, April, and we had about 10,000 people that were there. I like to go out there and do evangelism. But when these leaders speak, then they are giving scripture. And so they're supposed to be studying those speeches given by the prophet, given by the counselors, given by the apostles and the 70s for the next six months. They're called the marching order. Because it's scripture. You said because it's scripture according to their church. But when you look at it, typically they're saying the same things over and over. There's usually very little new uh, that is talked about. There's not like these great revelations that come. They're just kind of repeating and you could probably take the conference from the previous year and say, oh, that's very similar to that. And that's very similar to that. I mean, some uh, who have left the church say it, it's it's so demeaning because these men get up there as if they're keeping all the commandments and they're basically reprimanding everybody for not and they need to do better. And so they, the 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 little saying is you're, they're talking about being good. So do good and do better. Those are the two messages that they'll have overall hmm. throughout. And so it's, um, uh, it is scripture. It's not like they're going to go memorizing that, but they are supposed to study it. And nothing is said at conference that should contradict what the standard works say and what the leaders have taught today. But as you mentioned earlier, this is a religion in flux. It doesn't always remain the same. Things do change. If you try to witness uh, to somebody using the tactics from, 1980, you're not going to get very far. You need to have studied the past 40 plus years of what's taken place to be able to know that's not going to work. And so you've got to always be testing out what you have and trying to get it to work as best you can based on how Latter-day Saints think today. The church is very much uh, having a problem right now because progressive uh, theology is very big right now. Uh, uh, you got the feminists who are making a big deal that why aren't we praying for, to Mother God? They're not allowed to pray to Mother God, but mm. there is a Mother God. In fact, there are many Mother Gods because polygamy is in heaven. Why is that? Why are the women not getting the priesthood? That's another thing the feminists have a problem with. Homosexuals mm. within the church are just crying out saying, we need to have this legitimized. What I do should be accepted by God. They're struggling with that, and they're kind of pushing back a little bit, but they're also, their feet are to the ground listening for how is the culture going? That's kind of scary because who knows? You know, nobody thought in the 1960s they ever were going to go ahead and allow blacks to hold the priesthood, but in 1978, they did. Could it be possible someday that they will allow worship to Heavenly Mother? Could it be possible that um, that homosexuals can get married in the temple? Some would say no, but... I don't leave that out of the realm of possibility. It, it's something that uh, could happen if these leaders are so concerned about political correctness. Yeah, well, and it, because it is a religion that updates 
Um, it also abrogates. It, it, it's also a religion where the newest or the current prophet trumps old prophecies. Yes. He trumps. Like there's not like this guy's more of a pro- – the, the, the current one is the most. Um, and this this was a really interesting and eye-opening uh, event for me when we went out to – it was in 2015. We went to the Manti Miracle Pageant and you guys were down there and um, there's about 10,000 Mormons and I don't know, maybe – 100 Christians or 150 Christians yeah. or something. And uh, it, was, it was awesome. And so we're witnessing. And I remember there was a guy who was a former bishop, and he was talking about um, how he grew up and what it said about blacks not being allowed to hold the priesthood and why and the theology. And so he was he was saying that, like, I have it here in my old, you know, Book of Mormon. I have it here in my old, you know, standard works. This is what it says. But now no, we don't believe that, right? And it was fascinating because there were older people there uh, crying because we had a couple of, of African-American students with us. And he would say, look at this person in the eye and tell them that they're not worthy. Like, are you kidding me? And there were older people who were weeping. Say, and, 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 and I remember like rubbing our kids' shoulders saying, we don't believe that anymore. We don't believe that anymore. But they were just – really upset about it and then there were younger people there who hadn't grown up with that belief and they were just getting mad and calling calling this guy names and saying you don't know what you're talking about that's never been the thing and i'm watching two different generations (laughs) respond because of what they know and how they've been brought up and that they saw this change happen and then the other group hadn't seen this change happen and um when i when i talk with uh, um you know mormon uh, missionaries who come to my home i often talk about even this idea that they don't want to be called mormons anymore right that's from the the current president he just said this in was it 2018 he deemed this or okay so but they they kind of don't even believe that the when i talk to them they go it's okay you can call us that. and i go wait a second i thought this guy's like your authority and he kind of is right but like you said in in the previous episode we had you on that gordon b hinckley who was a former prophet he talked about how great it is to be called mormons and so who, who do they go with eric how do you which prophet do you pick how does that work? Well, I, I mean, if you have the the words of Ezra Tapp Benson, the 13th president of the church, he had a a, a temple or he had a um, general conference talk. Um, what was it called? 13 fundamentals and 14 fundamentals and following the, the prophet. And, and he talked about all these rules and he says, never pit a dead prophet versus a living prophet. Well, at the time he was a living prophet, but now that he's dead, <laughs> Well, then you're right. The living prophet supposedly takes precedence over, but they don't take that all the way to the end because they won't do that with Joseph Smith. If a prophet, you know, says something and, and you know, say, well, Joseph Smith is a dead prophet. He, he kind of he's not worshipped and he's not on the right hand of Jesus necessarily, but he is lifted up. And they won't ever criticize Joseph Smith. They'll criticize Brigham Young. They'll criticize Spencer W. Kimball. Other prophets, I've heard them say. In fact, I like to hand out copies of the book, The Miracle of Forgiveness, out on the streets. I can't tell you how many times people get mad at me. Mormons who will say, why are you handing out his book? He he didn't know what he was talking about. What position did he hold? (laughs) Twelfth president of the church. I mean, this sounds like somebody that should know what he believed. But uh, you're right. The the theology kind of changes as time goes on. And uh, different things are emphasized. So back in the day, they they called it as it was. Uh, uh, Spencer W. Kimmel did not mind saying that homosexuality was wrong, that that uh, perfection is an achievable goal, that uh, 
Uh, be perfect. Therefore, as your father in heaven is perfect, is meant to be taken literally. Well, now a lot of people are listening to what the leaders say, and they have these really great conference messages. Jeffrey R. Holland, Dieter Uchtdorf, too, that are, are come to mind. And they'll have these talks that kind of tease you. Like, for instance, uh, Jeffrey Holland back in 2015 or 16 said something to the effect, you get credit for trying. Now, Bill and I, you can go to our website on the podcast and you can see how we went through word by word. He was not saying you get any kind of eternal credit for for uh, for for the um, trying, because just as Spencer Kimball said, trying is a failure. (laughs) Trying is not sufficient. Trying is weak. I think he said, yeah, yeah. your best is not strong. You must always do better than you can. This is true in every walk of life. Uh, So so so. uh, you know, he says you, um, you get credit for trying. What did he mean by that? If you read the whole talk, he's just saying that means you're one step closer to doing what you need to do. You have to um, you have to follow what DNC 131 and 32 says. For I, the Lord, cannot look upon sin with the least degree of allowance. Nevertheless, he that repents and does the commandments of the Lord shall be forgiven. Every Latter-day Saint knows that. Those verses are cited on a regular basis. DNC 5843. How do you know if somebody is truly repented? Well, you stop the sin. You stop whatever you're doing. And DNC 82.7, this was one verse used on my friend who was a missionary in Northern California. A friend of mine, Dick Bear, went up to him at a at a uh, buffet and he spent five minutes with him and he gave him DNC 82.7, which basically says, if you sin the same sin again, then all your former sins come back on you. That haunted my friend through the rest of his mission. And when he got off his mission, he became an atheist. Now he's a Christian. Whoa. And that, it was that one oh, verse, that one encounter in five minutes. In fact, I knew <laughs> Dick Bear. I was able to put my friend in contact with Dick Bear. And, uh, and and when Dave says, I was a guy, I was a missionary in, at the hometown buffet. And, uh, you know, and so my uh, my friend Dick says, oh, are you the you the guy with the dark, uh, the deep blue eyes? Because he was playing it out loud. I could hear it. And he says, okay. yes. He says, I've been praying for you. Wow. He, that's amazing. And he says, yeah, well, I want you to know, Dick, that I became a Christian. He says, I knew it. I knew something. One verse, <laughs> one verse. So that's awesome. So, uh, well, and see, and that's that, that very thing you're saying, because, because I read what Joseph Smith wrote and, and I know those verses and I can, sh- I show people. And every time I show my Mormon elders or friends, those verses, what do they say to me? They say, well, our leaders now say we can try our best and God does the rest. That's not even say, from well, other well, leaders. That's actually from Stephen E. Robinson, who was a BYU professor. So, yeah, okay. they cite that all the time. I like to they say, say it all the time. Where, where is that found in your scripture? Where was that said at yep. General Conference? It was never said at General Conference. That's something that That's a guy wrote in a book. Uh, he also gave the bicycle parable. Uh, everybody's <laughs> latched onto it, and uh, it's not authoritative whatsoever. Uh, it's it's wow. not true. Whether it's Mormonism or Christianity we're talking about, that is mm-hmm. not true. Jesus does the rest. No, in Christianity, Jesus does it all, all to him I owe. <laughs> and in Mormonism, yeah. you do it all when it, after Jesus has already accomplished the work of the atonement and the grace that he's provided you. Now it's based on you. For uh, As I go back to DNC uh, 130 and 31, uh, for I, the Lord, uh, cannot look upon sin with the least degree of allowance. 
I always mm-hmm. like to I I like to uh, use that phrase when I'm talking to Latter Day Saints without citing that. I say, "Do you think God will look upon your sin with allowance?" We, we'll do. We'll use that. You know what they'll say? <laughs> oh yes, mm. yes. Oh wow! And then, you say, "Hey, have you read this verse?" Yeah. yeah. Then, <laughs> then we cite it, and they go, "Well." You know, I'm not trying to trick them or anything, but they think they get allowance because they're trying their hardest, because they're doing their best. Well, those things are uh, commendable. I I appreciate that you're trying, but it's never possible to do everything that this church says you have to do. Keeping all the commandments continually is what Mm -hmm. DNC 2515 says. Keep the commandments of God continually. And unless you do, where I am, you cannot go. Now, verse 16 says he was talking to Emma, but this also is talking to all people. Well, well, and, and see, I think that this principle of, of, okay, we know what their authority is. And if we can show there's a contradiction here with your authorities, the, the prophet saying this, but you want me to believe Joseph Smith, like you're coming to me with the Book of Mormon right. saying you need to believe this. He's a great prophet. Who who am I supposed to go yeah. with here? And often they don't know. Mm-hmm. They don't. They're just they're trying. And I think that it's fascinating to see how much um, extra standard works authority there is that influences their theology, even if it contradicts what Joseph Smith says. So I, I like pointing that out to people. If you know, you can't just assume the Bible is all that they have. They have so much more even than just the written works because they have the prophet. They have all the leaders, the 70s, the Quorum of the Twelve, First Presidency, and then these two meetings once a year where they speak. I mean, there is a lot of authoritative scripture uh, that that Mormons uh, hold to. So that's that's an important uh distinction for us to to understand. Let's talk about this for our time remaining because I, I think this is really important. Um, I had a friend, uh, our, our, our mutual friend, Lauren, he's a pastor up in, in Utah. And, uh, I think he has his PhD in, uh, theology studies with, with the emphasis in Mormonism. And, uh, he, he made this point, uh, in a talk that he did, I thought was fascinating. He said, listen, if, if as Christians, we're talking about what similarities we have with Mormons morally, we're pretty closely aligned morally mm-hmm. with Mormons. He said, you know, there's the coffee, alcohol, tobacco. That's that's a difference we would hold with them. Um, and he said, but when it comes to theology, what are we aligned with? And he, he, he had the kids kind of answer this. And it got down to it where he said, I think the only thing we have in common with them theologically are words. We use the same terms. Yeah. But we do not mean the same things by those terms. We do not mean the same things at all. And I think this is a huge misconception that a lot of Christians have is when they share the gospel with a Mormon and they say, hey, Jesus came and he died on the cross for your sins. And if you place your faith in him, you can have eternal life. A Mormon will look at you and say, I completely agree with you on that. So let's talk about what is going on here and what are we missing and what are the terminology distinctions and and how can Christians kind of bone up on on this important issue? A lot of mission groups, yours not, I'm not talking about yours, but some have come into Utah and then they come back home and you always give that Sunday night report, right, of what happened. And uh, well, we had 112 people pray the, the prayer of salvation with us. You know, we knocked on doors and 112 people. Then I asked the question, can I see the names of these 112 people? Because I want to knock on their door and find out where did they go to church the next Sunday? 
and they went to mm-hmm. the Mormon ward. You're right. So they could even pray a prayer and say, Jesus, I accept you in my heart. They say that. and Yeah, that sounds that, that goes right along uh, with what they believe. Yeah, the terms we use are the same and the meanings are different. In fact, in the back of the book uh, that I wrote called Sharing the, or, excuse me, Introducing Christianity to Mormons, I put an appendix and in there I take a, a lot of the unique terms that I write about in the book and I didn't want to take time to have to describe that in the text of the book. So I wanted a place mm-hmm. where people could go. Let me just give you the word grace. I put Christian in and uh, Mormon. So Christian, unmerited favor from God provided to those who place their trust in Jesus. That would be a one sentence. I mean, it's hard to do in one sentence, you know, but that's what grace yeah, is. But that's a great definition. That, that's great. Yeah. yeah. And then LDS, enabling power provided by God to help a person keep the commandments. If you ask a Latter-day Saint what it is, he'll say it's an enabling power. Enabling power to do what? Enabling power to keep the commandments of God. See, the difference in that term are night and day. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, we're saved by grace through faith. This is not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, lest any man should boast. Mm-hmm. Latter-day Saint, bristles, he'll cite James 2, 20 and go, go take you over there. And we get into this issue of what role do works have? I talk about this between justification and sanctification in the book. But in their scripture, 2 Nephi 25, 23 says, we're saved by grace after all we can do. Now, some Latter-day Saints in recent years, the last few years, are trying to say that refers to we're saved by grace in spite of all we can do. I have a, I actually have an article on our website that talks about this. No leader has ever talked about a general conference that in spite of all you can do, you can't do anything that you're saved by grace. No. Wow. When you're talking about eternal life, when you're talking about exaltation and celestial glory, the only way you can do that is keeping the commandments of God continually. And, and mm-hmm. so, and that's and that's what grace that's what grace is. Like that's what you're saying. So, like when 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 I say, "Hey, God's grace is what saves us," and a Mormon says, "Yes, yeah. I'm saying an unmerited gift, a, a, a unmerited favor. I didn't earn this. I was just given this because of of mercy and grace." And they're saying, I've, I was given the ability to work hard. Yeah. We're not talking about the same thing. No. Right? I mean, it, and that's where I see so many Christians do a terrible job of evangelizing because they don't understand that we're speaking past each other. In the last show, I mentioned Greg Kokel, and I'll mention him again. He, uh, he's a pretty good guy to mention. He is, and he's your boss, yeah, I, I like understand. Him. And so I'll put in a oh, good Yeah, and he's a wonderful him. boss. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you get a raise, I think, for that. But, but uh, yeah, maybe. he, he uh, I think it was him or somebody that says the number one question to ask, what do you mean by that? Mm-hmm. Again, using that Colombo tactic, but never assume what a Latter-day Saint believes and never tell a Latter-day Saint what he believes. Ask him, what do you believe about grace? Let them tell you it's God's enabling yeah. power. What do you mean by that God's enabling power? Let them dig their hole and then you say, well, what do you do with Ephesians 2, 8, 9, Romans chapter 5, uh, Galatians mm-hmm. chapter 2? I mean, you need to know the Bible. If you're going to be successful in evangelizing, you're going to have to know what God's word says. But I think we need to put the smoke in the cave and flush them out and get them to admit yep. to the things that they really do believe, but they're going to hide behind, well, we're Christians too. We believe in Jesus. He's in our church's name. We believe in salvation by grace. Well, yes, you have the same terminology we have, but you have a different meaning than I do. 
Well, and that's where even when they say, look, Jesus is so important to us. Like he's on, look, he's on my name tag. He's in the name of our church. I hear this a lot. Mm-hmm. And then I ask him the Columbo question. Like, what do you mean by Jesus? Like, right. What yeah. is, who, who is that? And they start explaining, well, he's, you know, he's our older brother. He was the first spirit baby born of Elohim and a heavenly mother in the preexistence. And I go, that is not the Jesus I believe in, right? Just because we use the same name, we're not describing the same person. Right. And and again, I think a lot of times Christians don't know this. And it, it's hard for me, too, because I assume terms mean certain things when I'm talking with somebody. That's how communication works. But one of the most diabolical things I think about the Mormon church is they have completely taken our our terminology, our vocabulary, and changed every single definition to it. So it sounds exactly like a sentence I would say, but they do not mean the same thing by it at all. You talk about, um, you know, atonement, right? Like, talk a little bit. When I say atonement, I mean Jesus atoned. He was the sufficient sacrifice on the cross for the sins of the world. This is what scripture says. He atoned for sins of the world. When Mormons say atonement, what are, what are they intending by that? What are they? How do they define atonement? Well, uh, here's the, from the book. I'll just read it so it'll be so straightforward yeah. and easy. One sentence. Uh, Christian, the death of Jesus on the cross provides the full payment for the sins of those who place their trust in him. Basic, straightforward. Mm-hmm. LDS, Jesus' suffering in the Garden of Gethsemane as well as on the cross allows every human to be resurrected to one of three kingdoms of glory. So you have this idea that... Um, uh, general salvation is available to everybody who was born on this earth because of obedience in the preexistence. Uh, but that's not exaltation. So the atonement, grace, that is only good to get you to the party, but then to fully celebrate, you're going to have to you're going to have to earn your own right. These terms are again, you're going to have to flesh those flush those out and, and and make sense of them because otherwise you're going to talk past the Latter Day Saint. What's your wife's name, Robbie? Kelly. Kelly. So let me tell you about my wife, Kelly. Kelly, and I start describing all these things about my wife, Kelly. And you go, your mm-hmm. wife's really named Kelly? Well, yeah, she's named Kelly. Really, my wife's name is Terry. It's a different person mm-hmm. I'm talking about. I could talk about <laughs> Kelly all day long, and I could tell you about how sure. how nice of a person she is. But if I'm if if I'm talking about uh, the same name and using two different people, it doesn't make any sense. The same way we can talk about Christianity, but it's Mormonism is over here and Christianity is over there. And you're just going to confuse people and you're going to say, well, that's not what Christians have historically believed. That's not what it really says. That's not what we really do. And so trying to, trying to get that out uh, uh, from a Latter-day Saint is difficult, but it's doable. And once you do that, and I want the Latter-day Saint at the end of this kind of a conversation to admit that we're both not alike. We're both, we're, we're different. And I'll say, okay, so, here are the four possibilities. We're, we're, um, we're both wrong. And Mormon is wrong. I'm wrong. Atheism is true. Buddhism is true. Islam is true. They will admit sure. to that. I say, but we both can't be right. Okay. We both can't be right. We both yep. could be wrong, but we, um, excuse me, we, we, we both could be wrong, but we both, um, uh, it's po- impossible for us to be right. So we're left with only two possibilities. If, if you're correct, what is your situation? What's mine? Well, I hope I get to the celestial kingdom. If you die right now, where would you go? I go to the terrestrial kingdom. Okay, where would I go? Well, you would go to uh, probably the terrestrial kingdom. You seem like a nice guy. I, wait a minute. Yeah. I'm going to go to the same place you are. 
And then I say, okay, well, that's great. I sounds like a winner. I'm going to have my work done for me by my relatives. Great. But if I'm right and you're wrong, if the Bible is true, Jesus talks more about hell than he talks about heaven. He says it's a place of terrible torment, that there will be gnashing of teeth. And I don't want that for you. Would you like to hear what the gospel says? With your two-minute presentation I'm talking about. I mean, if you can give a two-minute presentation, you put that little pebble in somebody's shoe, you might be like my friend Dave, who my friend did that with him and presented a short, quick view of what Christianity taught. And and he realized Mormonism, he had no hope. At least Christianity, later on, after he left atheism, he says, I want something that is true. And that's Mm -hmm. that's when he became a Christian. I think you have done your job. We're only in sales, Robbie. God's in production. Yeah, we we do what we can. It's very true. Yeah, I, one of my favorites. And I, I love sharing this because it is so succinct and simple. One of my favorite uh, witnessing techniques uh, with my LDS friends is uh, Ephesians two eight and nine. And the reason I share it is because most Christians have that verse memorized. Yeah. And if you're out there and you don't, you need to memorize yeah. it. It's great. So get it memorized. And then um, I, I, I open uh, – I have their uh, app on my phone, right? There's like an LDS app, and it's it's what they use when they're going door to door. So I have it, and I've got it highlighted because you can keep notes. It's it's really helpful. So I say, hey, let's open up to Ephesians 2.8.9. I got it here on the LDS app and the KJV. And I say, read it. And they, okay, so for by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And so I say, okay, when, when Paul says save, uh, you believe there's two types of saving. You believe in general salvation and you believe in exaltation. And like you said, general salvation is every human being gets to go to one of the three levels because of what Jesus did. That's immortality. So Hitler, yeah, that's immortality. Yeah, immortality. Yeah. Yep, yep. And so so Hitler's in the lowest level. You and I, were nicer than him, so we're going to go to the middle. But the Mormons not trying to get to the lowest or the middle. They're trying to get to the top. They're trying to get to exaltation. In order to get that type of salvation, you have to do all the work. You, you have to be perfect according to their, to their uh, theology. So I ask him, I say, is Paul talking about immortality or is he talking about exaltation? Which one is it? And they'll say, well, he's, he's probably talking about immortality. And I say, well, hold on a second. It says, by grace, you've been saved through faith. So to get immortality, you don't have to have faith. Like Hitler didn't have faith. And they, this is what they always do. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. Okay, I missed that. Sorry. He must be talking about exaltation. Okay, but if he's talking about exaltation, don't you have to work really hard to get that? Yeah. Well, he says it's not by works. So it's not immortality and it's not exaltation. What in the world is Paul talking about? <laughs> and I let it, I just let it hang there. What is he saying? And I think, and they go, yeah. ah. Uh, and they reread it and they reread it. And I don't know, you know, that's a good question. I'm going to have to talk to my bishop about that. And I say, please do. Yeah. And then come back and let's talk some more. But that is a quick, like you said, you don't have to know everything nope. about it. But you, if you know just a little and you have some scripture and you can point out to them, guys, you're really missing out on something. Christianity cannot be sane. The Bible's not saying what Joseph Smith taught taught is yeah. true. There's some type of a conflict here. Um, and having those, like you said, you never know what those short and simple witnessing techniques can do to somebody. Yeah, I think and you might have taken that from Mormonism 101. I think uh, we have that in our 
uh, as an example. You probably do. You know, I've read so much of your stuff and so much of, of Tri Grace's stuff. Yeah. And like, it's all just mashed That's together great. in my head. And now I, I don't know, like sometimes, uh, Kokel says this about J, JP Moreland a lot, but sometimes I think, I don't know where Eric Johnson begins and where I end. And I don't, you know, it's just all, no, and, and, <laughs> it's all mashed together. And I'm glad that you're actually using that. Um, that, that is something yep. that, uh, is, uh, uh, important for us to know that people are using it, but, but, um, uh, Bill has used it with great success uh, over the years. Yeah, it's a really it's a really helpful technique that that I've enjoyed. So let's just talk about a few more definitions as we close out. So um, we've talked about Jesus being a completely different definition, different being altogether. Um, I think often of that that verse in Matthew where Jesus says, you know, many will come to me in that day saying, Lord, Lord, look at what we've done in your name. Right? We cast out demons. We did all this work. Yeah. And then I'll say, depart from me, I don't know you. And that haunts me because often I think that's that's what's going to happen with Mormons. They're going to say, you were on our name tag. Like we did all this stuff in your name. And he's going to say, I didn't – You it, that wasn't me. Right. Same word, not the same person. Um, and so what what other definitions are really important that, that we need to make sure we understand when it comes to Mormonism? Um, I, th- I think you're going to need, I mean, it, where do you start? I mean, just the idea of scripture, where's your authority at? Sure. Uh, where's the priesthood? Yep. You know, I mean, do we have the priesthood? The Bible says we do. We have a royal priesthood. First Peter says, uh, yes. we need to understand that the Mormon, uh, males hold the Aaronic and Melchizedek priesthood. We need to understand, um, uh, well, just, th- we've been talking about salvation. Uh, you're going to really not get very far if you don't understand what you had just talked about, breaking it down into uh, this uh, immortality versus exaltation. Uh, These are all terms that we're going to have to understand in order to have successful conversations. And I think a lot of Christians don't. And that's why I think that they get frustrated and they come to us and say, well, I thought the Mormon was not a Christian. It sure sounds like they were. Well, you, you, you don't, it does. Yeah. You don't ha- you, you did not ask the right questions and you really need to understand better. You need to read Mormonism 101 and just understand what those differences mm-hmm. are and then flesh that, flesh that out. Yep, absolutely. Well, Eric, thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, if you would like to uh, plug into Eric's ministry, you need to go to mrm.org. Uh, they have a ton of great resources there that you can read, that you can listen to, uh, to help equip you to talk with your Mormon friends, family, and neighbors about Christianity. Also, his newest book is out, Introducing Christianity to Mormons. You can get it wherever books are sold. Highly recommend you go get it, especially just for that glossary of terms in the back, distinguishing between Christianity and Mormonism. Hey, thank you so much for being with us today and being faithful listeners. I'm Robbie Lashua, and this is Stand to Reason.